Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. As you have your Bible in the 35th chapter of the book of Genesis, for the last couple weeks we have been in this series of altars. If you have been watching and joining us online, even on Wednesday night, we have just concluded a series on milk, not meat, or milk or meat. And we have asked deep questions on whether or not you are a Christian who is on the milk of the word or the meat of the word. And let me encourage you to dig to you, go past the milk and get you some meat. I like milk. Ain't nothing wrong with milk unless it's expired. Have you ever gone to pour you a bowl of cereal and only to reach for the milk and been thoroughly disappointed? Have you ever been stubborn enough that you ate it anyhow? No, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. You understand that meat, milk is okay. Our little grandson, he has a bottle of milk. He's getting to the place where, you know, it doesn't sustain him. He likes it in the morning. He likes it in the night. But he become quite the meat and potatoes kind of kid. And in fact, he, he's the kind of eat anything kind of kid. I haven't really seen him turn too much down. And so uh, you're thankful for now because there come a time when some teenagers snub their nose and I ain't eating that and I ain't eating that. Well, I grew up in a house where you ate what was set before you or you didn't eat because they didn't run down to Burger King for you, boo-boo. You had to eat what was set before you. Anybody raised like that? Anybody just thankful that you had something to eat? Amen, yeah. And if you didn't, and you, and you had to sit there till you ate every last pea on the plate. Uh-huh. When, you're, when you're raised without much, what some folks would call poor, when you raise with where you have to eat hominy, come on, somebody. <laughs> when you have to eat Vienna sausage, potted meat, when spam is the only steak you know, come on now. You just thankful. How many know what I'm talking about? Uh, you all too spoiled to know what I'm talking about. I'm thankful today that when God sets before us the food, milk or meat, if we dig deep enough, we can get the nourishment we need for our body. And I'm not just referring to the physical man as I am the spirit. And this morning I want, if the Lord will allow, to speak to you out of Genesis chapter 35. And I only want to begin with one verse, if I may, on a man by the name of Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. We have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who are often referred to. Every time God would introduce a covenant, every time he would refer himself to someone to make himself known again, he would say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He speaks in generational terms because God is a generational builder. Everything God does is not only relationally and revelationally, but it's generationally. He speaks in generational terms. And that's how you have to look through the lens of your life that God is using you in a generational way. It's not just about you anymore. You know, when you were selfish and you did everything for you and then you had kids and realized you can no longer do for you, now you, everything you do is for little people, people who get up under your feet 
and you have responsibilities so you can't quit your job on Friday to go to Kings Island. Amen. You have responsibility. So you take care of the people coming behind you. God speaks in generational terms. And the Bible teaches us in Genesis chapter 35 that there was an occasion where Jacob had an opportunity to meet with God again. And God speaks to him in verse 1 of this particular chapter, chapter 33, 34, and then 35 is where we're at. But if you have time this week to go back and reference, not while I'm preaching, but this week somewhere in your devotion, you will find the story that leads up to this. And the Bible said in verse 1, And God said to Jacob, Arise and go unto Bethel. Well, I already like this verse. God spoke to somebody this morning and said, Arise and tell somebody, go to, go to Bethel. And then the Bible said, Dwell there. Well, that's not my topic today, but it does feel good to say it. Arise and go to Bethel and dwell there. God gave him a location. God gave him coordinates. God GPSed him. God told him exactly where to go. And a lot of us, we're asking God questions like, God, what's my next step? Well, before you ask God what your next step is, make sure you've done the last thing he has told you to do and done it well. And the Bible said that he gave him specific coordinates and told him to go to a place called Bethel. It was significant because God would meet with him in this spiritual place. And he told him to dwell there. And then he gives him another instruction. And he said, make there an altar unto God. So God tells him where to go and what to do. How many know there are sometimes in our life we don't like to be told where to go or what to do? Now, if you know that's for your neighbor, elbow them in the side where nobody can see. But there are times that God will tell you where to go and what to do. And then it is contingent upon your obedience that you will hear God and say, Yea, Lord, I hear. The Bible said he told him, make an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. God was reminding him of another occasion where he had another spiritual moment of which he was on the run from his brother Esau and he built an altar then and had an experience then. But God said, I want you to go to Bethel and dwell there. And when you get there, I want you to build an altar. Hold on now. I want you to build an altar and I want you to remember back when you fled from the face of your brother Esau who was angry at you and you knew your life could be taken from you. There I want you to build an altar and remember the very time, the very experience you had with me when you were on the run. So if the Lord will help me today, I want to break this down for our spirit. I really feel this is a word for the Lord, from the Lord for the church today. And I want to release it as I feel God is talking to us about altars. Say altars. One of the things that I striving for in my own life and wanting to lead the congregation into is that every one of us have to have a personal relationship with God for ourselves. I cannot rely on my mommy's relationship. 
I cannot rely on my daddy's relationship. I must have a personal relationship with God for myself. I'm thankful that I was saved from sin. I'm thankful that my mom and dad were saved out of sin. And the reason I say it like that is that when my mom and daddy gave their heart to Jesus in the 60s, they were living in sin. They were doing hellish things. They were living a compromised life. Let me preach in here. And so when God saved them, he saved them out of sin. He pulled them out of the muck. He pulled them out of dysfunction. He pulled them out of addiction. And, and instantly my dad gave up some stuff because God released him from the bondage of sin. My God, he released him so he was saved out of sin. Well, then when my mom and dad started having children and my sister come along and then I come along, then we were saved from sin. In other words, they kept us in a household that sin was not allowed to be in. It's not that we weren't sinners because we still had to receive Christ for ourselves and be redeemed from our sin and acknowledge our sin and ask Jesus to change us and to forgive us of our sin, but there is a difference in how you're raised. Come on, somebody. When you are raised in a home where they keep you from sin. Now, that's my testimony, and I realize that not everybody's testimony here today, but could we give God praise whether you were saved out of sin or saved from sin? Will somebody give the Lord praise today? And so all of us have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because his relationship with you is just as real as his relationship with me. It doesn't matter what your role is. It don't matter what your function is. It don't matter what your ethnicity is. It don't matter what your gender is. If you uh, are breathing today, you have to have a personal relationship with God for yourself. And not only is it a relationship, God wants to have a dynamic relationship with you. He wants you to have an overflowing, it's bubbling out of my soul kind of relationship where it's joy in the morning and it's joy in the evening and it's joy in the noonday. It is all the time a, a walk with him in relationship where there is a communion that takes place that he's mine and I'm his and I'm kept in the hollow of his hand. And when you begin to have an intimate relationship with God. You understand at that point in your life that he comes to live inside of you. In your physical body, the Holy Ghost comes, come on, and begins to impart unto you. And God takes up residence in you where the writer would now say that you and I are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Everywhere I go, his spirit lives in me. Everywhere I go, Jesus is with me me. He has taken up residence in me and I have a relationship with him and the Holy Spirit in me will tell me what to do and tell me what not to do. The Holy Spirit will sometimes not even use words. He'll just say, eh? don't do that. I hear the Holy Ghost just say, check me there. That's because I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. Do I have any temples of the Holy Ghost in the house today where you have a personal relationship? Come on, if you may not even realize it, but you do. You have a personal relationship with God and he dwells in you. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the dwelling place of God. But my question this morning, if I may intrude upon your conscience, is to ask you this. Do you take his place in your life serious. 
You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Do you take his place in you serious? Him dwelling in you is not an accident. He has to be invited in. And once he has access, then he has to have room to work his work in us. And I don't know about you, but he's always working on me. He's always taking stuff and throwing it out. He's all the time, uh, sometimes he stick my nose in the corner in the house that he lives in. Sometimes he has to tell me to hush and sit down. Sometimes he has to tell me to step, my, step up my game and be quick. And sometimes he just has to whisper in my ear. And sometimes he has to thump me upside the head. Come on now. I'm not talking about God being unjust. I'm talking about that not only has he have access in my life, he has room to work. You see, he has to have room to do a work in you. Anybody thankful that he's doing a work in you right now? That he's cleaning the house? That he's helping provi make provisions for you? That he's doing a work that only he he can do it. That's why Jesus would teach us in the scriptures. He would talk about behold old things have passed away and all things have become new. It's a new house. I live in a new house and I've provided him a place where he can dwell and I want to be serious about the place that he lives in and, and this is why it's important for you to understand that God wants to take up residence in your life and he wants to meet with you and commune with you in a personal altar in your life. Let me preach in here for just a few moments if I can describe this to you because many people in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, built an altar unto the Lord. I shared with you last week that Noah came down off of the ark with his family and although it was dismal and although they'd been on that ark for 364 days and had to wait for the waters to recede. I mean it rained for 40 days and night but they had to wait for the rains to, to, to rescind and the waters to go down. Can you imagine coming off of that ship and that great big ark and you, you're the only one left alive and you've been living with the same seven other people driving you crazy for almost a year. It's almost like you've been in quarantine. There'd be many of us who need some therapy and some counseling after we'd come off of a boat like that even though God is a God of deliverance if we came down and found out that we were the only one left. But the very first thing that Noah did was he built him an altar and began to have a place with God. Before he ever ate the meat, he also first built an altar unto the Lord. Abraham built an altar. Moses built an altar. Joshua built an altar. Isaac built an altar. Jacob built an altar. Gideon built an altar. Samuel built an altar. Saul built an altar. David David built an altar. Solomon built an altar. And my Lord, Elijah, Elijah built him an altar. I want you to know there are many people that had a wonderful relationship and an altar experience with God. But that brings us to our text today about Jacob who is facing a dilemma in his life. Is there anybody here this morning that came in today 
and you've got some dilemmas to work through. you got some situations. Come on now. Don't act too holy. you got some stuff you're working through. you got some stuff that's been bombarding you. You've got some issues in your family. you got some stuff that you have got to deal with. And you're like, God, if you don't undertake, if you don't make a way, I don't know what I'm going to do. Am I preaching to anybody today? you got to thank God for an altar. You better thank God for an altar where you can have a relationship with just him. It don't matter and it's not contingent upon other people. It is contingent upon my relationship with him. Let me just go ahead and preach in here. I'd rather have Jesus than anything else. Can't nobody put me in connection with him like he can. I'm thankful today I don't have to go to any brother or sister for them to go before me. Jesus said I am that I am. He is the great intercessor. He is the one who sat down at the right hand of the Father and he maketh intercession for his people. Let me preach in here this morning and tell you you can have him all by yourself. Nobody can get you to him except him. I'm not happy. I'm not waiting on anybody else to take me by the hand and say come meet him. I want you to know you can have a relationship with Jesus all for yourself. Look at somebody and say I found my altar. My altar is not contingent upon you shouting hallelujah. My altar is not contingent on whether you agree or disagree with me. If I want to find God, I find myself in an altar and I say, do you remember me? You dwell in me. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. I want to have a relationship and an altar experience with you. And everyone that I've mentioned in the Bible, whether they were a success or they had failures in their life, all of them had an altar. He's in a dilemma. In Genesis 35, verse 1, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. He had met God before. He met God while he was running from his brother Esau, while he was on the run. You either running from something or you running to something. He was running from his brother Esau and had a moment with God and God reminded him of this moment. You have to remember Esau was his brother. Esau is the one that he stole his birthright for a bowl of soup. Esau was so hungry when he came in out from the field that day that he asked his brother to give him some soup. And Jacob used the situation, used someone else's down sitting, their weakness, took advantage of him. Have you ever had anybody take advantage of you? Have you ever had somebody do you dirty? Have you ever had somebody wait till you were down and then kicked you when you were down? It's quiet in here. But all of us have experienced moments like that. But Esau was flesh driven. So he asked his brother for the soup and Jacob used the moment to exchange his birthright and said, I'll give you the soup if you'll give up the right of the firstborn. If you'll give up your birthright being the firstborn. 
even though they were twins, Esau, Esau had the right of the firstborn. And the Bible said that he sold out his birthright for a bowl of soup. That'll preach all day long in a world right now where people do whatever makes the flesh feel good. And I want you to know that there was a lot of dysfunction in Jacob's family. And a lot of us in this room today wouldn't tell everything we know, but we sure wouldn't open up any doors to the closets in our home and reveal all the ancient secrets that have been passed on from our family. Ooh, it's so quiet because we want anybody to, to look and see any of the deep, dirty, dark secrets that our family has hidden away because we wouldn't want nobody to know that they, we have also a boatload of dysfunction. Boy, I feel real spiritual preaching on this. There was a lot of dysfunction in the home of Jacob. Now you have to remember that in Genesis chapter 27, there was another experience and another time when after that he had deceived his brother for the birthright, that then Jacob got his eyes not only on the birthright, but then he wanted the blessing too. And the Bible says that his mother, Rebekah, began to help him to concoct a conniving plan in order to deceive her husband, Isaac, and let Jacob get the blessing. Now you have to understand, obviously there was some favoritism amongst the children going on where Rebecca is favoring her son Jacob over her son Esau. Anytime you favor children in your home, you are causing a dilemma. You are causing a hurt. You are causing a situation where the child will not forget it and it may mark them for many, many years. It's so quiet in here, but and I know some of you, you think you're the favorite and some of you think that you've been uh, overlooked and, uh, and mom and daddy been better to the other children. Boy, it's so quiet, I can't even look at anybody. I, I want you to know Rebecca was part of that. She was part of the dysfunction. It let me know that dysfunction don't fall far from the tree. Uh, that if mommy's got it, uh, that the children probably got it too. Oh yeah, it's quiet. Jacob's mother, Rebecca, although she was a good woman, the Bible says she was a conniver. You say, Pastor, that's just really not polite. Well, you know, she helped Jacob to devise a plan to deceive his own father, Isaac, to trick him into giving him the blessing that belonged to Esau and, and give it to him instead. In fact, when you read about it in Genesis chapter 27, Jacob said to his mother, my father will feel me and he will know that he will. I will appear to him as a deceiver. Uh, because my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. And because Isaac had lost his eyesight, oh, don't lose your vision. And Isaac had lost his eyesight. He was reliant on feel of touch. He had to be able to feel what was familiar in order to release the blessing. And so Jacob said to his mom, I can't do this. I cannot deceive my daddy. He'll know I've deceived him. He will feel me and realize that I am not uh, his my brother Esau and she and he said I can't do it because I'll become a deceiver and I'll bring a curse upon me and not a blessing this was out of the mouth of Jacob and you know what his mother Rebecca said she said upon me thy curse be she was willing to be so down and dirty and deceptive and a manipulator and a dysfunctional 
mother. My God is quiet in here that she was willing to get her children all tricked up. Do you know that was the last time that he saw Jacob ever saw his mother? She divided the family and he never saw her again. I want you to know that's what happens when sin gets in. It'll send you on the run. It'll make you run in a different direction. And the reason that I speak about Jacob this morning with you is because in our altar series we're in, it's because Jacob is a crook. He lived up to his name. His name means deceiver. His name means surplanter. His name means con artist. He's a manipulator. He's mischievous. He's sneaky. He's a lot like his mama, Rebecca. Sneaky. Who is a lot like her uncle, Laban. Sneaky, the whole family. Ain't nothing but a bunch of sneaks. Come on, the whole family is sneaking. Don't point, but have you ever seen entire families who were just downright sneaky? And yet we use Jacob as an example this morning because God is still interested in meeting with a guy whose name is crooked with a guy whose name is Deceiver, a guy who's dysfunctional like his mama. And this may not help you, but it sure God's giving me hope this morning because if God could love Jacob in spite of his mess, then God could love me in spite of my mess. God could love me. I'm not pointing fingers at nobody. I'm just thankful this morning that God loved me in spite of me. Somebody ought to be thankful today that God loved you in spite of you. He loved you when you were crooked. He loved you when you were dirty. He loved you when you were a sneaker. He loved you when you did things behind people's back. He still loved you when you cheated on your test. He loved you when you uh, stole money at the gas pump. He loved you when you were so downright and dirty. He still loved you. Am I preaching in any real folk this morning that God loved you enough to say I love you even though your name is crooked? And the Bible tells us in our text, I want you to build an altar in Genesis 35 and 1 in the place where you first encountered me. And this is important for all of us church people to hear today because it is impossible. Let me say it this way. It is possible for you to have an encounter with God but still not have a place of consecration in your life. You felt the Holy Ghost. You felt the wind of the Spirit. You had a quiver in your liver. You had an unction from the Holy One. You had a goosebump. You felt the power of God. 
It is possible that you can have an experience with God or an encounter with God but still not have a place of consecration in your life. It is possible to have an experience with God but still not have an altar in your life where you are consecrating yourself unto the Lord. So my question for you right now is this. Do you have an altar? Is there a place in your life that is exclusive for God to use in your life? That's what an altar is, a, a place that is exclusively set apart and consecrated for the use of God. I'm not necessarily talking about a special room, although if you have that room, that's great. If you've got a war room, go to it. I have a special place that I like to pray where I can get along with God. And I remember growing up, I literally went into my closet in my bedroom and I laid a sleeping bag down and I got down underneath my daddy's suits that were hanging over my head and that's where I began to have a prayer and a consecration. When I was about 15 years old, I began to have regular meeting times with God and the Holy Ghost, hallelujah, the Spirit of God would meet me in my little prayer closet. That's where I learned how to come apart before I come apart. That's where I learned let the Holy Ghost consecrate me and sanctify me and call me into the ministry and to be a vessel unto the Lord. And when I ask you that question today, do you have an altar? I'm digging deeper this morning. Have you met with God at a place but then moved from that place and had no altar? Have you had an encounter? Yes. But have you moved away from your altar? Have you had an experience? Yes. But you've moved away from a place that is deep in your life? Do you have a continuing, ongoing relationship with the Lord? You know, people tell me, Pastor, you know, I've been knowing the Lord for 20 years, but I'm asking them, but have you been talking to the Lord for 20 years? You may have been knowing him, but are you still talking to him? Somebody said, well, I met the Lord when I was 12, but have you spoken with him since you're now 45? Have you had a deep consecration and a place with God, friend? I'm not talking about a public display. I'm not talking about where you see people being pious with their long, big, pretentious prayer in public. I'm talking about a personal place in your heart, a place of consecration where you say that's where God and I meet. It is exclusively for the use of the Lord. This is where I want us to go as a church. You can have an experience with God on a Sunday, but do you have an altar with God Monday through Saturday there has to be a relationship and a place that only he has access to I need to meddle some here because we have a generation that doesn't understand what I'm talking about we're used to church members but I'm used to saints we got a lot of church members, people who come to church, but there's a difference between a church member and a saint. You could tell the saints something and they wouldn't gossip. They'd pray about it. You could tell the saints you were hurting and they'd come together in agreement and pray for you. I'm used to the saints. 
I get weary because we got a lot of church members, but not as many saints. I'm from a generation that when you were in trouble, the saints would come over to your house and they went to cooking and they went to cleaning and they wouldn't take no money for it because they were the saints of God that had an altar in their life that would come to your rescue when you had a need. And now we got people who expect to be paid for everything. They want to be paid for volunteering at their own church. Oh, I miss the saints today. Oh, I miss the saints this morning. Oh, I miss the saints in this generation. They checked on you. They called you. They helped you. They prayed for you. They interceded for you because they had something called consecration. My God, I wish I could preach this morning. What I mean is this, which meant if you've got a place of consecration that you would conduct yourself a certain way. If you were a consecrated saint of God, you conducted yourself in a certain manner. You conducted yourself with holiness. You conducted yourself set apart for the master's use. They didn't need a lot of noise. They didn't need a lot of fanfare. They didn't need a bunch of this or that. They could drive down the road with no music on and they could start talking to the Lord and praying to the Lord and the sweet Holy Ghost would come into their place of intimacy. Oh, and when you got around them, you could feel the glory of God coming off the saints of the Lord. When you came into their presence, there was something that emanated out of their spirit and they didn't have to tell you that they were praying. You knew that they were praying because they lived a consecrated life. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Oh my God, they had an altar, not just on the outside but they had an altar on the inside my God we need some Holy Ghost saints again who'll get off their phone while I'm trying to preach this message and say God give me an altar I wish I had time to describe this because this generation doesn't see too much of this anymore my brothers and sisters, hear me. There ought to be an inner sanctuary down inside of you. A place in you that you don't give to anybody. Not to your girlfriend. Not to your boyfriend. Not to your husband. Not to your wife. Not your mother, not even to your children. And that's wrong. what's wrong with people today. That's why we're depressed today. That's why we stressed out today, suicidal today, and ready to quit because we've given our altar to Henry. We've given our altar to Susie. We've given our altar to Billy. We're giving our altar to Sally, my God. Who am I preaching to? You've got to come to a place where you snatch your altar back and say there's a place that you can't have. 
It's my personal sanctuary. It's my place of consecration. You may not want to be consecrated, but bless God, you're not going to take my consecration. Oh my God, you're not going to take my holiness. You're not going to plate my place where I meet with God and commune. I don't want your mess and your trouble and your confusion coming up into my place. There's a place I'm snatching back. It's my altar. It's my altar. I have a consecrated place unto the Lord. I'm not just a church member. I'm a saint of God. I'm consecrated unto the Lord. Look at somebody and say, I'm snatching back my altar. You can't have my altar. I'm taking it back. It's mine. You don't fall in love with anyone so much that you let them have your altar. You can't give up your altar. You better take Freddie off of your altar. You better take Shaquita off of your altar. And you better hold on to your altar for yourself. Put Jesus back in the altar of your heart. Tell Shaniqua, get off my altar. When you let people in that place of your altar and they begin to let you down, then you don't have anywhere to go. When you let people on your altar and they let you down, then you don't have nowhere to go because they become so significant that they have become an idol in your life. And you have to cast down the idol and let God be God. And the reason you're so upset with people is because you put people in the place of God. And then when they let you down, you're frustrated because they didn't come through for you. Because you gave them your altar. You can love people without taking them, letting them take the place of God in your life. When you put people in their proper place, you can love them without exalting them above God. Because when you let people become an idol in your life, they will say things like this to keep that place. Oh, I would die for you. I love you more than life, sweetie. You're my ride or die. They'll whisper sweet nothings out of their mouth, but you better watch out. They're getting close to the altar of your life. My God, I feel like preaching this. What should be coming out of your mouth is, I love the Lord. He heard my cry. He's my all in all. He delivered me from every situation. Oh, somebody ought to thank God today. He is your everything. Take them off the altar and put God back on the altar and get to God in your intimate place again. Look at your neighbor and say, make no mistake about it, you need your altar. You need your altar. I'm not talking about being perfect. I already told you that Jacob had some issues. Just like all of us, he wasn't spotless. He wasn't pure. He had a past, a past so bad that he was now running from his past. And yet, he remembered he had an encounter with God. You see, everybody has a past. There are people in this room that have a past. People watching online 
that have a past. You're sitting some, next to someone right now that has a past. Oh, you, my friend, have a past. You haven't always been so sanctified. You didn't always come in here looking so good. We didn't always call you missionary meatloaf. We didn't always call you evangelist apple dumpling, apostle chocolate cake, or prophetic pecan pie. And even since you've become elder casserole, you still got some stuff. You still got some stuff you need an altar for. Come on, somebody. Oh, I wish I could preach in here. We have a God who loves us so much. He said, if you'll open up the door, I'll come in and I'll sup with you and I will be your God and you will be my people. He'll talk to you even when you're wrong. He'll talk to you even when you're mean. He'll talk to you when you're in prison. He'll talk to you when you're hateful. He'll talk to you when you're slothful. But he said, Jacob, you crooked man, build an altar. And he built an altar where he could spend time with God as they come. Listen to me this morning. The Bible said that in his presence there is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand there are pleasures evermore. But the problem with us is we've lost our altar. We're too busy to have an altar. Hear me, we're too busy to have an altar. So instead of praying, we call everyone else and ask them to pray. We even see people, we pay to pray today. You call a prayer line and someone on the other end is getting paid to pray by the hour. We have intercessors who intercede for us when it ought to be with us. Hear me. You can't beat me for praying for me. You can pray with me, but you can't beat me at praying for me. You can help me pray, but you can't beat me for praying for me because I'm not going to tell you everything that I would tell God because I may not trust you enough to tell you everything that I would tell God. You can help me pray, but you can't do my praying for me. I got to pray. And the altar is where you put your cares at. It's where you cast your burden before the Lord. It's the inner place that belongs to God. Don't give your altar up for depression. Don't give it up to anxiety. Don't give it up to fear. Don't give it up to people, your family, church members, your haters, and your enemies. Get them off of your altar and put God in his rightful place. Stand to your feet and give God praise in this house. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 